Radio TFS, episode 105. This is Greg Duncan. And this is Martin Woodward. Hey, Martin, we're back! We're Yay! back! Yay! The new year's beginning <laughs> on in time, so that's good. And you see the big news that we've discovered, and we may have discovered a new planet, so that's exciting no. stuff. Yeah, so we may have discovered no, a, a ninth planet, an actual real planet, none of these dwarf planet rubbish things, but you know, I think we might have found one ten times the size of Earth, and uh, orbiting a long way out, though. Um, and uh, yeah, and all the diagrams and all the videos in the press release all done on the Worldwide Telescope, so you know, brought to you by the power of open source.net. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so so how do you hide a planet oh you know just uh yeah put it a long way away i think <laughs> i mean we can see planets you know um revolving around uh revolving uh going around other stars uh-huh. couldn't see well interestingly and uh, now you, you, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna regret talking about this so uh <laughs> the, the the way that we observe uh planets around other solar systems is a couple of mechanisms one is uh by stellar wobble is what it's called right so actually seeing the red shift of the star changing because it's moving a little bit you know because of the gravity of the the planet pulling it back and forth and then the other way is actually seeing the um the uh, the planet and the light from the star dip as the planet moves across you know the disk of the star relative to us so they're kind of the two major ways that we see planet that we detect extrasolar planets uh, today and the, the, this one's detected in us uh, using you know uh, the forces of gravity as well observing um they, they noticed there were a few objects in the Kuiper belt that were had strange behaviors but very similar behaviors and so they were trying to model that out and they were coming up with a lot you know like hey this kind of looks like there's a planet out there <laughs> and then and they were like trying to discount this and discount it. And like, you know what? Uh, it really does look like there's a planet out there. We just can't see it yet. So, so they've predicted where the orbit is. They've done some predictions on some diagrams and shared that in the astronomical journal um, and shared it with astronomers. So I guess they're going to start training telescopes and go look for it. So it should be exciting. Wow. Mm-hmm. I wish they'd make up their mind. Eight, nine, eight, nine. Yeah, no, well, you know, it's a science. We discover- it just goes to show you we don't, you know, what we hold out as truth. We're just always discovering. So, um, you know, it's good it's, point. Yep. Anyway, good how point. things are you? What's the news this week? The news? I, I am miffed. I am irked. I am an unhappy camper. A build. They announced the build registration date. I was there yesterday, 9 a.m. Pacific, hitting F5, hitting F5, hitting F5, shift F5, closing the browser F5, 9 o'clock, 9.01, get the registration link. Click on it. One page to fill out. Filling that out, click on next, and I'm on the waiting list. No. Yeah. Literally, like it, and everybody on Twitter, it's all blowing up. Build fail. And, and, it seems like everybody thought it was a bug at first, and it might have been the earlier first-ish ones. I, I, I'm reading different reports, but maybe the very earliest, earliest first-ish ones that went on the waiting list were a bugs. And if you waited at like a minute or two, those people were able to get tickets. So some people on on in Twitter, uh, you could see that they did register, but the vast majority of people seemed to try to get in. They're sold out, and we're all on the waiting list. Mm. And the official report from from um, the Googs and uh, uh, everybody is that, yeah, it did actually sell out. So last year there was 3,000 people there. I, I just – I have a hard time believing that there were 3,000 people pounding on it when the price went up for $100 and which we found out actually after the release of the registration, there is no hardware giveaway this mm. year. So I'm on the waiting list for build. Oh, uh, no. I am. 
I heard Miguel I, I, got in, Miguel de Cazzi. Well, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, supposedly there was like special codes that some people got codes, and with those codes, most of them were able to get in. Uh-huh, I, so didn't, maybe I didn't know about a... any codes. Yeah, I'm, I can't go this year either, so because uh, um, I'm doing some stuff. But um, yeah, wow, that sucks. Oh, fingers crossed. Yeah. Let us know how it goes. Yep. Uh, the other news that, that just came out, like it was either uh, last night or early this morning, is – and I'm taking full credit for this. Is this, this hot this planet of Greg told you so? Yes. Um, if you guys remember, if you've been listening for a while, when .NET Core 5 came out and ASP.NET 5 came out, um, I, I was rather upset at the version numbers. You know, the .NET 4.6 versus 5, and I said it was really confusing, and uh, they should have, like, this is a rewrite. It's a 1.0. Call it a 1.0. Well, Scott Hanselman announced that ASP.NET 5 and .NET Core 5 are dead. They are dead. They are now ASP.NET Core 1.0. And AS and .NET Core 1.0 and Entity Framework Core 1.0. So what do you are you what do you think? Because naming's like you know you never please every, anyone with naming. Right. What do you think of this? Um, I, I I think it's right. I, I, that gives the .NET 4.6 classic .NET I guess you can call it um, room to grow in the future mm-hmm. on version numbers. Uh, this is the <laughs> he said it even in the email uh, in his blog post. It's a 1.0. It really is. The .NET Core and ASP.NET Core is a 1.0. Yeah. You know, so if you call it 5.0, you're giving it a fake gravitas. And uh, um, it, it's even though it's based on the older framework, it's still a complete and total rewrite. So I, I think it's I think it's the right move. Okay, cool. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, I know we're <laughs> going to get a lot. Of, we're going to get out rubbish for it, you know. But um, yeah, the the main the main thing is trying to. What we were finding is people were getting overly concerned about like the .NET full framework kind of being dead or being not being, you know, what I mean, of being replaced. And we're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> There's this .NET core for other stuff, and then you got the .NET framework, and we're still building both. And it's like, yeah, but you know, and so, and then we eventually came to the conclusion that, oh yeah, it's because of the version numbers, um, and and because of the history, you know, kind of how we've done things in the past. Don't don't get me wrong. So um, yeah, I hope it helps. We'll see. I think I actually think like I would have preferred it without the version number at all. You know what I mean? So just <laughs> ASP.NET Core and .NET Core. But I get I get why oh. people I get why the version yeah. number kind of helps. Yeah, we'll see over time if it you know version numbers are so two thousand. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> but yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, there's some TFS news as well. Brian has done a, did a blog post. They've updated. Um, they've published a new update to the features timeline. So we've covered this before. But um, uh, over on the the Visual Studio website, they, you know they have the they have the list of all the features, not just the features that they've delivered, and um, in which version of TFS they land in. You know the on-premise version and mm-hmm. which versions have arrived in the service and links to the the, the release notes and things. But um, they also because um, you know they talk about features that are coming up in the future quite often and um they just kind of uh, they've updated the feature timeline to give uh, a, a, a more up-to-date version picture of where things are currently on their current trajectory looking like they'll land you know no promises but this is where they're where, where the team are aiming for them and um if you go to stories.visualstudio.com, it kind of explains the whole development process that the Visual Studio team follow themselves. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the way they're updating this is in line with the way they update the planning. 
so they they split the planning into um uh into quarters basically um and then um then they have seasons on top of that which are six month seasons and the seasons run like there's a spring season and a fall season is how they typically run so um yeah so and it's sort of kind of updating the features the timeline in line with the planning the way they do the planning stuff so mm-hmm. it all fits in with how they build stuff and they're just being completely transparent with with where they think things are and what they're working on and allowing people to give feedback on that through user voice and stuff like that so there we go nice nice so we'll put a link into show notes that and a link into show notes as well to some of the latest features that are coming up. Um, you know, things that we've talked about, some of them like SSH support coming to gear and the process customization features and all those sorts of things. So there you go. Cool. And we've got Yeah, in the show Yeah, go ahead. In the show notes we'll also put the, there was a whole bunch of posts on futures. Yeah. That um we'll, we'll put all of these in there. Uh, yeah, they all BSTS came out. process compensation futures, dashboard futures, work item futures, get experience futures, multiple collections per account, reporting capabilities, um, all of those. A whole bunch of uh, posts on the eleventh. Yeah, they've been so. busy. It's been a busy old Christmas form, so it's good stuff. Yep. Well, it's not a show if we don't talk about the Rangers. And uh, Willie P just posted on uh, a post that confused me a little bit. It's the Champion Awards for 2016. Wow, already? Yeah. I, I don't really know how you do. You must have done something Champ- really good this year. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like proactive awarding of the awards. But uh, uh, they announced the winners of it, like Champion of Champions, Josh Garvik. Uh, Scrum Master Champion, Bla- uh, Brian Blackman, Edward Fry, uh, Project Lead Champion, William Salazar, PG Champion, William Smythe, Charles Sterling, Go Chaz, uh, PO Champion, William Smythe, uh, Geek Champion, Abel Wang, Impact WWC Champion, which I don't know what is W Worldwide Communities Champion, mm-hmm. Michael Learned, and Impact PG Champion, David Mann. So all you uh, ALM Rangers listening, uh, um, you guys rock. And even if you didn't win, you still win. Cool. Definitely. Well, hey, we've got right. a special show today. Yep. Yep. We have jo- Josh. <laughs> we've only been talking to him for like a half hour yet. Uh, Jesse Howling. Jesse Howling loves good coffee, meaning strong, dark espresso. Regular expressions are like word puzzles to him, as are link queries and HTML parsing techniques. He takes pictures everywhere he goes. He works for Xprint as an ALM consultant, is a certified Scrum master and Scrum developer, and .NET, uh, Scrum developer.net trainer with Scrum.org, and a member of the Microsoft Visual Studio ALM Rangers. Welcome, Jesse. Hi. Hey, Jesse. So. How are you doing? I've got, I've got an issue to take with you, first of all. So, uh, <laughs> oh, God, you, uh, today on uh, Facebook, you posted a video to, of some Russian guys like dangling off sides of buildings and things. And <laughs> now Facebook like shows video, you know, when you just scrolling past it in the feed, and that started going. I was like, Aah! so I had to, I had to switch off Facebook because of you. So uh, well yeah, done. Yeah. congratulations! <laughs> you improved Microsoft's productivity no end today. <laughs> it, uh, it 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 gave me pain in the in the in the guts, but um, my. Uh, my brother-in-law, he's uh, he's actually very, very, very afraid of heights. So um, when I posted it, I posted it especially for him. Um, I think he won't well, be looking. At I wasn't afraid of heights until I saw your video. <laughs> yeah, no, me, <laughs> me neither. It was really scary. But it's it's, no, it's good to know that you're reading my Facebook. So that's uh... <laughs> yeah. There we go. Cool. So Jesse, uh, regular expressions, really? Oh yeah. You, yeah. You actually understand them and grok them and and, and get them? Uh, well. It, they're generally very hard to read, 
Um, but that's because people don't know how to write them well. Um, that was kind of my very first blog post on my uh, that, that I ever wrote was how to write readable regular expressions and actually put comments in them and, and do stuff with that. Um, way before I did that, um, I was a spam assassin rules emporium ninja. Um, which is sort of like an ALM ranger, I guess, um, helping the Apache project um, to keep my own mailbox clean of spam and by sharing the rules that I wrote, um, helping other people keep their um, mailbox clean of spam. So um, they have a whole whole bunch of rules that are all based on regular expressions, parsing email headers and um, email content, that kind of stuff. And um, th- that's how I learned it. And um, I ended up teaching regular expressions for five years at the first company that I started working for after after university. So, um, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's 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 probably one of those um, things that I could, will never be able to unlearn. Um, well, because there's a big difference as well between writing a maintainable regular expression, you know, one or a readable one that you can edit later, but also one that's uh, performance because you can you can write some hellishly unperformant regexes that work but i know uh, i know consume inordinate amount of cpu time once you once you start running them as spam filters for example yeah yeah i know i i i wrote one that actually um flagged as a, a production issue with um, uh, spam assessment at some point because i had a what we call a dot splat in there a yeah. dot star um and i had a bunch of them and that made it really, really, really not performant. Uh, so yeah, it's it's hard to do good regular expressions, um, but they're fun. Um, well, you know the old uh, the old saying: you know, you had a problem that you've solved with regular expressions. Now you've got two problems. So. Yeah, I, I think I have a T-shirt of that somewhere. <laughs> well, they definitely uh, come in handy, and uh, you know, .NET's always had great regex libraries. So um, yeah, it's good. So Jesse, what have you been? Uh, in your many years of development, what kind of stuff have you done? Yeah, so I've, I've been working for consultant companies for the past 15 years, and we generally end up um, replacing paper forms with digital forms and then ink with bits. And somehow that helps a lot of people get their processes faster and easier and to get reporting on them. Um, I, I've done a lot of those, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I, I really love those projects where you just end up working for real people, um, uh, people that get to choose whether or not they use your application because um, they might actually order their plane tickets with another uh, airline. Um, and then suddenly the whole world of software development changes and um, it's suddenly very important how many elements you pick on a forum, how you name them, um, if there's any logic to them, um, and it actually has to look nice. Uh, I, I really love those kind of projects where you're really working for uh, uh, for a bunch of people that really care um, or that um, vote with their wallet. So this, I've, I've been I've been doing a mix of those, and then um, in the in the past years, I've been digging deeper and deeper into TFS, ALM, Scrum. Um, efficient and product productive uh, uh, development teams, high quality code. And I've been doing a lot of build extensions, um, work item uh, uh, customization. Um, I helped uh, Patrick to integrate uh, NDepend into, uh, um, into the XAML build engine. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of stuff. My, uh, my latest endeavor is uh, custom tasks for uh, build 2015. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm brushing up my PowerShell uh, skills, and um, right now I'm trying to fight it, checking in uh, changed files from the build system. And it sounds very easy, but 
turns out to be rather hard. So, uh, um, yeah. So when, what, give us an example why you would want to check in change files in the build system, because that sounds inherently... Yeah, I, I, I don't want to, um, but we're <laughs> migrating a lot of clients who have mm-hmm. existing processes that do that. Is this uh, with version numbers specifically? or um, Version numbers. Translations is one that I see a lot of times. Um, mm. Importing the WSGL and regenerating the, uh, um, uh, the web service bindings um, on the mm. fly. Um, it's, it, it's, it, actually, when you look at it, they're not so strange, but a lot of them can actually be solved by NuGet packages and a more advanced build system. Um, But as we're taking them into the new build system, we usually migrate them as is, and then we optimize. Um, And without these kind of small uh, tidbits, it's very hard to actually migrate them as is, especially since the standard tf.exe doesn't work in the new build engine. Um, so that's making it harder. So how you, how are you checking stuff in from that build engine? Are you using are you doing API or I'm doing API and PowerShell, and I'm now considering to actually get, do a reflection on tf.exe and actually replacing the TFS connection on the fly. It's going to be dirty, but it's going to work. <laughs> it's pretty dirty, actually. Yeah, yeah. I might actually be using the uh, Java API because um, that probably will work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well um yeah it's interesting uh yeah talk to the team because uh it, um, I'm, I'm out of date where that is now but i know that the the credentials are stored in credman of the current process so um this should be possible to do but yeah, I would, yeah, I would that, have thought, that, yeah that's, that's what i thought except that for visual studio team services it actually now uses an oauth credential yeah, um, but that, that OAuth credential is still stored in, still stored there, you know, in memory. Well, it's, TF actually picks up the logged on user, but this is kind of going going off into th- yeah, yeah. This is the kind of stuff that I'm currently trying to hack myself cool. around and make that work. So yeah, definitely. And how are you finding people picking up? Uh, how are you finding the transition to the new build uh, infrastructure? How what's good about it? What's um, what's more challenging like this stuff? You know, um, I I really like it. It's it's a lot easier to understand what's going on. It's a lot easier to just go from top to bottom and get things working. But there are some things that are hard. Um, I'm writing a couple of blog posts on uh, um, how you do things. You, you really need to understand how MS Build works. And it was really kind of abstracted away in the XAML build. You just pointed it to a solution and kind of magic happened. And now if you... If you don't really understand what's happening, then it starts copying files from A to B, and it might not be the files that, that you want, and it's building every solution that it can find. And there's there's a bunch of things that, that once you've figured out that, that it's doing that, it, it turns out to be rather easy to work around that. But um, I don't know a lot of people that want to know all that kind of information about the build. I think they really like the fact that you just pointed it to a solution and it will work. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's easier to customize, but the necessity to customize is greater. I guess is that what is that what you're finding? Yeah. Or yeah, if anyone wants to know about, we should put a link to the show notes. The um, still a great book on MS Build is inside the Microsoft Build Engine using MS Build and Team Foundation Build. That's uh, Saeed Hashami and and uh, William Will Bar, William Bartholomew. So yeah, um, that's the, on my desk. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a great book. And <laughs> the thing, I mean, it's um, the 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 thing with MS Build that always confuses people is the whole item group type stuff as well and when that actually evaluates its items and all that sort of stuff so once you get your once you get your head around it the the, the existing um, targets are surprisingly well commented aren't they you know if you go actually crack them open and start reading them there's a surprising yep. amount of documentation inside them you just never know to look in them so 
Yeah, it's it's it's, it's the same thing. The new build engine. Whenever you figure out something like, oh, I would really like to do this, and you have no idea how to do it for a new task, then just go off into the um, VSO agent task GitHub uh, uh, library and look how Microsoft does it because they're all there and they're all open source. Um, yeah, of course. Great. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, they are all open source. <laughs> At least yep. that makes it easier. And isn't there a – you did a um, – there's a GitHub project, isn't there, that where yep. you're doing a lot of this stuff? Yep, it is. Cool. Sorry, Greg, that was my uh, that's my particular area of interest. Sorry for that. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> it's been a long time, but you know, it's still it's still cool. But you've been for every, and things like the some of the features that are in there are all cool. You know, like the auto update stuff and some of that type of stuff is all all goodness. The actual build agent itself is pretty reliable, is it? Yep. And the um, I love the new logging. You know, the way the logs show up and things like that. Oh, that's just awesome. Yeah, it, it, it no longer really matters what kind of thing you run, as long as it outputs something. It gets into the log and um, um, it makes your life easier. Um, and no more XAML editor. That alone has to improve. <laughs> you, you know that I edited those by hand just in the XML editor? Oh, yeah, uh, no. Yeah. I, I used to use Notepad++ to do it because uh, <laughs> it was so big. But no, I used to edit them by hand. It was a nightmare. And for the books as well, trying to like, you know, trying to show it uh, like the code for them is just a nightmare. Here's a bunch yep. of code and then here is the one line that you actually care about within this whole boilerplate rubbish. So, so Jesse, I wanna, we wanted to talk about TFS Aggregator 2, so we're going to have probably have to jump ahead a little bit. We had a whole bunch of stuff queued to talk to you about. Um, but first of all, I, I did want to ask, this is what I ask everybody on it, what gets you excited? What gets you up in the morning and, and gets you to that keyboard? <laughs> it's, it, now that you phrase it this way, um, I, I think I'd, I'd get to a different answer, but what gets me up in the morning <laughs> Um, is first of all my uh, my cell phone that has an alarm clock, and then it's probably my wife who kicks me that my cell phone is is making a lot of noise, um, and then it's the shower, um, and then it's espresso, and probably a second, um, and then that's by the time that I start actually to function. Um, I, I'm not really a morning person. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, this kind of stuff uh, happens uh, in in the evenings at the time that I should really be going to bed. Um, and when I'm just talking to people um, that are um, passionate about about this kind of stuff, and they have ideas, or they have issues, or they just can't get something to work, and um, I I love those kind of little. Uh, puzzles. It's it's kind of the same as with the regex and the link queries and the other uh, um, uh, and the other things. I like to dig inside of it, figure out how it works. Um, um, a reflector is kind of um, always open on my system for some reason. Uh, it's that's that's what I really like, and then. I'm I'm always amazed about sometimes how simple or sometimes how incredibly complex something is that you either think is very very simple or which you think is very complex or completely the other way around. Um, that that's really what I like. Always yep. a sign of a good design when it's deceptively simple. You know what I mean? It does an incredible <laughs> amount of good stuff and yet it's just not, not much there. So yeah. Yeah. You always know you've nailed it then. Or and the best one is UI code. How much code there you have to put into a UI to make the UI disappear and seem simple? You, you have to do so much stuff to make that happen and do exactly how how you want it to behave. Yeah. Speaking of UI, then should we talk about the well, not really, but should we talk about TFS Aggregator? Do you want to tell us a bit about that that project first of all? For people yeah, sure. It? So have, have you had a look at it? Have you any idea what it does? Well, we, we've talked about it a few times on the show, actually. But uh, do you want right. to, for the listeners, do you want to recap? Yeah, so it's it's basically a server-side plugin for Team Foundation Server. 
um, and it captures the um, work item updated event and allows you to run a bunch of rules, um, which will update fields, recalculate values. It can actually do some additional validation. Um, the only thing that it cannot do, what people would really like it to do, is say, no, you can't do that. Um, <laughs> so um, basically, whatever the user submits gets saved, and you get to work with whatever was saved. Um, and it's, it's been around for ages. There's been a version on Coplex, I think, as 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 early as is it TFS 2008 timeish. Uh, yeah. And well, now they used a lot of it even before. No, it was around about then. You remember the old um, Kinchango Scrum templates? They kind yep. of used a precursor. They kind of used a similar mechanism to this, didn't they? That was less generic. Yeah. And 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 I think that some of the bugs that I ran into when implementing this as a major client. Um, uh, about a year ago um, are still from the 2008 time when there was one project collection um, and things couldn't go so hellishly wrong Um, and we ran into all kinds of funny funny cases because what actually happens is that the aggregator connects back to TFS and actually opens up a kind of a loopback connection to work with the client object model of the uh, of the work items Um, so we we actually found it was one of the examples why we ended up rewriting this whole thing was that um, it actually would just connect even if the change happened in a different project collection to the project collection it was configured to and it would try to update the work item number that um, that it got passed in so it, it could actually be working with numbers that um, didn't actually need updating or you get all kinds of security errors because um, you actually didn't have permission to write into that project collection um, so. We, we had a lot of fun with that, and um, I, I, there's there's like six or seven crazy workarounds for things that I would never have expected to be in a TFS client object model, but were. Um, and then we kind of worked around those. And the the way that the aggregator works now is that as a consumer, you don't even know that that's happening. So that's actually quite cool. We try to make writing rules for the aggregator a lot a lot easier than it used to be. Mm. So you kind of, kind of yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Greg. Yeah, you know, I, I was just trying to um, con- the Conchango, the old Conchango Scrum template. It used to have a server side component that kind of did this. So this is like that, just much more generalized. Yeah, did you ever? I- yeah, kind of. I mean, that's how I understand it as well. But it does it does stuff because doesn't it? I mean, the ones I've seen it do are things like if you want to. Um, People always want like the the status of a parent work item to be affected by the status of its chi- of the child work items, and yeah, so like it's if- got rules that can do that or or do summation fields. So you want to you want to make the work remaining be the sum of all the all the child work remaining. Is that kind of how you how it most often gets used, Jesse? Yeah, I I, I think those are the two most used cases. Um, right. I, I actually used it at a client to implement um, what's called waitest shortest job first, um, which is a um, ordering technique out of the lean principles, um, which uses the duration and the um, uh, and the value and a bunch of components that make up duration and value, and actually calculates a number. And the higher the number is, the lower it should be on your on on your list. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of a uh, um, and the way that we implemented that with the old TFS aggregator required five hidden fields that were actually not visible on the form. Um, and we had, now that we had to rewrite and we can actually just write C-sharp or PowerShell, have variables, um, use intermediate calculations, that kind of stuff. Um, 
all of those kind of hidden fields are now gone. So um, mm. users don't even see those anymore when they open Excel or choose stuff. Cool. And I've seen, I mean, I've seen some people use this type of thing as well for uh, when you create a work item, then it, it, it automatically creates a bunch of other work items, you know, as part of their yep. process. Or, or when you move a state, when you move a work item to a particular state, then again, a bunch of other work items get automatically created for you, like tasks. Yeah, wait, is that? We we also use it to assign impediments to the team administrator and to mm. uh, um, uh, automatically set the product owner to be the assigned to for any bug or PBI um, if you're doing Scrum. Um, you, you, you can do just about anything that you want with it. Um, the, the list of examples that we have on the site is not as extensive yet. Um, we were hoping for people to kind of start sharing some of those rules back to the repository mm-hmm. um, because... I can think of all kinds of crazy things that you could do with the rules, but it really starts to make sense when you have a bunch of rules that really work well together. Um, Instead of, um, right now we've got all kinds of examples showing you all kinds of things that you could do. Um, Actually turning all of those on on your team project might not be the best idea in the world, though. The performance, so. Yeah. So, Martin, I... Martin, I have to like give you a hard time, or you know, by proxy, give you a hard time. Why doesn't TFS already do this? <laughs> it provides you the events for you to build it. But yeah, no. <laughs> there's the there's an example. So the thing, it's it's a great question. So the, uh, most this is most often used with work items, and um, as Jesse now knows, the way the work items are implemented are actually substantially different from how you think they should be, or how possibly a sane person would implement them. And um, that's largely to do with the fact that. The work item tracking code until recently was some of the oldest code in, in Team Foundation Server. It, it dates back to um, products that we use internally inside Microsoft. One was called, it was called RAID, and then the one before that, oh, I can't even remember now. But yeah, internal, like internal bug tracking systems inside Microsoft that we used for a long, 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 long time. And the, the work item tracking system has a rules engine in it which which evaluates and used uses to um to evaluate rules and that's what gives you the you know the client side interaction so you you know can you set this state to this what state's valid but that rules engine never had in it um the ability to affect child rule you know child work items and things like it, that. it, it just it, 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 it can't even do one plus one is two yeah it's it's <laughs> it's it's, it's it's not really a rules engine. It's a state transition engine kind of thing. And um, but it is all implemented client side. And but they have a bunch of. But it's all implemented client side, which is interesting. Right. And and it was implemented client side for a couple of reasons: um, performance. Um, it, you know, lots of computers and minimizing the server workload when you're having you know kind of a loads that like Windows put on the bug tracking system you know which is now based on top of uh vsts so you know these kind of scale things are something the team have to have to account for and so it just never did it and then but they made all the um they did put all the hooks in place so people could write code to do it the problem was as jesse knows as well that code is actually pretty involved and so uh you know what jesse and the people have done with tfs aggregate is awesome because they've kind of made a a generic almost a dsl to help you build the types of things that you do when you want to go do these types of rules so you can use proper scripting languages you know you can use powershell you can use c sharp and bb and to do these things and 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 some of the stuff you've done as well just is pretty awesome and you know just abstracting out some of the the weirdnesses of the of the object model and things like that so people don't have to understand tfs quite as well you give them a logical model that's a bit you know 
closer to what you yeah. expect rather than yeah. reality. We, 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 we put in a bunch of things to stop people shooting themselves in the foot. Like we took away the fact that you had to put your TFS admin password in the config file. Yeah. Um, we took Clients away don't like if, reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. M- m- most admins don't like that. Uh, yeah. and, uh, um, there's a bunch of calculations that you could do with the old one. I think that uh, 35 divided by 13 or something um, would actually throw you into an endless loop in the old version. Um, nice. Because uh, the client object model would say that it's different, but the server thinks that the fields are still the same due to a rounding error somewhere. Um, and it will just keep creating empty new versions of the work item. Um, by the time that we found out that it did that, I think we had 175,000 revisions on one work item. You couldn't even open it anywhere anymore. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we've abstracted that problem away. So now that you do that calculation, you don't have to actually do that check. We do it for you. So and this that's is written... At- that's imp- yes, go ahead, Greg. No, go ahead, Mark. I was just saying it's important to stress as well that the reason why you've abstracted a lot of that out is because, you know, you've been using this in real clients to do like, you know, paid work for them. But then yep. when you you leave them because you're a you're a good you're one of a good contractor variety, you leave yep. them with a system that they can update themselves because you're a busy chap and don't want to have to keep coming back rather than, you know, forcing them to come and call you every time that they want to tweak a single rule by a, by a point or something. I think they're still calling me to update the rules though. <laughs> you can try they can try they can try and then they send it to me and say it's just the right thing yeah yeah exactly well hey cool even best even better because then you get paid for just verifying their stuff so yeah it's like being an alm ranger apart from you actually get paid in this job <laughs> yep so it's implemented as a real quote-unquote real server-side plugin right we've talked about those in the past uh, gordon beaming i think wrote a book about server customization what's it really like building a real complicated uh, server-side plugin like this um you know, we, we had the advantage that the old version was already around so mm-hmm. we've actually even though we did a rewrite we had we had a lot of stuff to start with um but the the hardest part is that the while the client API has remained virtually the same ever since it came out, there's been changes and there's been some breaking changes. But basically, if you write something against the TFS 2010 client object model, generally without any changes, it just recompiles against the 2013, 2015 um, every update version. It just works. Um, you have to up, now, nowadays you update a new get package, you build and it does it. Uh, in the server object model, um, 20 12 has a slight has a few small changes then 2013 has a few changes update 2 of 2013 has a bunch of changes and then 2015 has a few things that moved around and then update 1 has a few things that moved around and I think this is all because of things happening with the workings on what was first visual studio online and now it's visual studio team system and mm-hmm. team services sorry um on and, and and those kind of refactorings in the server bits, they kind of trickle down into what the plugin does. So if you look at our repository, there's a bunch of classes that have like a crazy amount of if uh, um, uh, like compiler if definitions in there just to um, rename uh, interfaces and to um, use slightly different tricks to do the same thing uh, depending on the version of the server that we're on. And it's also because you're trying to have one code base that targets multiple versions of the server API? 
Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That, that's what so we're trying Microsoft to do. Don't have that problem. They just maintain the latest version, you know. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That, so like, we, we, we we actually thought about that. We thought about doing different branches for different versions of the uh, of the product. Um, but right now, having one branch with everything in it, one build definition that builds all the versions, and that can just package it up into one installer. Um, towards the outside, it's easier to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but internally, when you when you're inside a Visual Studio, it's like build, change configuration, build, change configuration, build, change configuration, build. Yeah. Whew, I didn't break anything. <laughs> <laughs> and what's so, the um, what's the process like? You know, when you actually want to if you want to upgrade a server with this installed on it. What's that? What does that? What do you do? How do you do that when you do the upgrade? Do you switch it off? Go run the upgrade? Then you know, yeah. How do you? How how would you upgrade a TFS server that had the TFS aggregator installed on it? Yeah. So um, with twenty thirteen update two, three, uh, four, and five, you could just have mm-hmm. keep it installed and it would just work. Um, then when you went to twenty fifteen, you of course have to upgrade to the later version. Um, what you actually do is you uninstall it, you upgrade, and then you re- reinstall it. Um, and we actually detect your server version and drop the right bits in there. And your rules file will actually uh, will keep that alive. We won't o- override it if it's already there. Um, so basically, the rules would come alive automatically. And unless um, some of the process template updates that have been shipping um, and you're running through the uh, um, activate features thing, if, if that breaks anything then of course you have to fix those um now with 2015 uh, with 2015 rtm and now with update one there's been a, a bunch of changes so again when you do the upgrade you uninstall it you run uh, the upgrade and you reinstall it luckily tfs is smart enough now to detect that the new update is wrong and it will actually turn off the uh, uh the aggregator and log a warning in the event log saying that it did that um and then it kind of is your cue to uninstall and reinstall it. Um, so it doesn't break your server if you keep it installed, which is a good thing, I mm, think. Cool. Um, we we kind of extracted the rules engine from the server plugin. We also ship with the command line options so that you can easily test without actually having to install anything on your server. The idea is that using that same rules engine inside of a service hook um, should be possible. Um, I haven't tried it yet. It's, it's kind of on my list of stuff to do. Um, and... Um, it's it's kind of fighting with everything else on my priority list at the moment. Cool. And right now, if people are wanting to do some stuff, you could potentially hook into things like Zapier. But you know, you want to you want to. I think you just want to pull up this TFS aggregator code and get it working because it's got all the it's got all the logic already there to do the common types of things you want to do, like child work items and like you know update totals and all that sort of stuff. So no, it's really really cool. Really looking forward to seeing where you take this project. And it's good to see yet another open source project around TFS. It's Awesome. Thanks. So we're getting towards the end of the show. Um, a couple things I wanted to – I don't know if you can, we can do this quickly, but what's the biggest – this is an open source project as we talked about. It's on uh, GitHub. Um, how active is the repo? How, how challenging is it to actually build a real project uh, interactive with, with multiple contributors? Oh, first, who are the contributors? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm working uh, together with uh, um, Gulio Fian or Gulio – I actually don't really know how to pronounce his name properly, which is really bad of me. Um, and, and 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 Richard Banks. Um, well, some and, some some wicked MVPs. You know, they're both very active in the MVP community. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so I, I think uh, Gulio and I were kind of the lead hackers, and then Richard mm-hmm. is our head cheerleader. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he 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 did the initial kind of updates to the TFS aggregator and fixed some of the bugs. And then when I said when when I was working on it with my client and I kind of submitted twenty five items on his uh, GitHub issue list, he asked me if I wanted to be a contributor, and that's kind of how I got involved. Nice. And so then, he's like uh, your your grumpy uh, you know your grumpy cheerleader. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he's not really cheering cheering us on um, because. Uh, uh... <laughs> well, uh, Jesse, I really want to thank you for being on uh, the TFS Aggregator Two. Looks actually really exciting, and it's something that uh, actually I would like to see in the product. Uh, it's it's every time that I've been talking about TFS here, I always hear that issues like you know I, i've got a story and uh um an epic and i want them to update the other so it sounds like that would be does like, Jira like, do that for you greg i don't know does it i don't it, it, it does in some cases okay yeah okay All right fair enough anyway carry on um jesse we can find you at or you listeners can find him at on twitter of course j-e-s-s-e-h-o-u-w-i-n-g and this will be in the show notes as well um I, your blog at blog.j-e-s-s-e-h-o-u-w-i-n-g.nl uh, tfs aggregators on github i'm not going to read the whole thing out um any closing statements jesse um anybody that uses this and has a bunch of rules that they want to share um please do um, I think that that's the, that will be the best way for people to start using this and kind of get a complete set of stuff together. Um, I've had a lot of fun developing this, and uh, um, we are actually supporting people on the on the GitHub issue list if they run into issues or have questions or anything. Um, we try to help people um, really adopt the tool. Um, but I agree with you, Greg. Um, I'd love for Mar- for Martin and um, <laughs> probably uh, Aaron. It's not uh, me anymore. Don't blame me. Go talk to Aaron. Yeah. Yeah, probably Aaron, um, to make this project kind of useless. Um, that would be ideal. Um, but un- until he does that, uh, I think we'll start, we'll keep maintaining this. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, Jesse, thank you. And um, before we close out the show, I-, I do want to give a shout out to Gordon. I appreciate your tweets, Gordon. He was, uh, Gordon tweeted us back about another API. We were talking about uh, playing with REST APIs. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Gordon uh, suggested Postman is, is a good one that-, that he likes to use. So thank you for your shout out there, that's Gordon. Another, and- that's another Google Chrome plugin, a bit like the REST API one I mentioned. I- so, yeah, awesome. Cool. And if you guys have any questions, suggestions, thoughts, comments, loves, hates, flames, uh, whatever, send us an email at radiotfs at outlook.com or via Twitter at radiotfs on Facebook, radiotfs. Send us a voicemail, please. Somebody send us a voicemail. Um, area code 1-425-233-8379. And... I think that's it. What do you think, Martin? Is that a show? Sounds good. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you next time on Radio TFS.